right, so today on the show, we have Joel Smith here. So super excited to get you on, Joel. We just talked about how we're in the relatively the same area here in Southwest Ohio. Southwest Ohio? Yeah, that sounds right. Yeah. <laughs> but I'm still new, relatively new to the area. Uh, this doesn't make as much sense, like this whole, it's not like a grid system. So I still like get lost in Cincinnati all the time, like in comparison to where I was living in Seattle. You can point me in the right direction and pick it out pretty well. But yeah, Joel, enough of me talking. How about we get into who you are? Give us a little bit of a elevator pitch and yeah, just see what's going on. Yeah, sounds good. And I was going to say, I, I still don't know my way around. Been here two years right. and I still don't know my way around Cincinnati. I just hang out and hang out on the east side and you know, pretty much that's about it, sadly. Uh, yeah, anyways. <clears throat> so yeah, Joel, my name is Joel Smith and I've been um, in the world of coaching for about 15 yeah, 15 years now. Sometimes I have to, you know, 38 now. So I'm like, when did I start again? Yeah. Um, the track and field strength and conditioning, uh, you know, it's, it's one of those interesting, sometimes I, I think to myself, like, you know, there's these posts on people who are, you know, strength and conditioning nihilists, like James Smith, like, do you really need, you know, what's, what is this, this thing in strength? And I say that because I was much more drawn to track and field originally. Like I played basketball in high school, was a track athlete in college. Um, and it's interesting thinking about why I wasn't as good at basketball because I did have the talent, but all the mental stuff just fascinates me and the motor learning and all the things I should have done if I wanted to be actually better at basketball. Um, but you know, track was such a fascination because I was just so like outputs was just such a puzzle to me. Like, how do I just get one inch higher in my jump? How do I run just a little bit faster? And so I you know, had some really influential coaches over the years and, and in graduate school, my advisor was like, well, you have to pick, you have to be one or the other, you know, you have to do track or strength. And I was like, well, I guess I'll do track. And, but then uh, I, which I did for six years and then strength and conditioning found me back. Um, and I spent eight years at Cal UC Berkeley doing um, strength and conditioning. So that was something that I, there was originally elements of strength and conditioning that I just did not find exciting. And, and I will say, maybe we can talk about this too, but like the more I learn the more I learn about biomechanics, like the shapes of the body, the adaptations, the compensations, it, it makes uh, a strength and conditioning program more interesting to me. Uh, but I also at the same time believe that there is also a very, um, you could call it like archaic, not in a bad way, but like there is a core package of just the process of becoming a stronger human being that's not that intellectual, that is really powerful. And so, um, <clears throat> you know, it's, it, you have those two things. Anyways, uh, left Cal, couple of years ago i've actually been yeah about uh, two years now i've been in cincinnati private sector so working uh, my website podcast just fly sports i do a lot of online training uh and then do a little bit of training in person in the area and uh it's a nice it's a nice balance to my life right now i'm i'm enjoying it and yeah so age 38 that's where i am private sector after coaching strength and track in the formal settings i'm on my own these days gotcha are there any big changes that you notice with making that move to Ohio? Like, is there, how do you feel about Ohio? I guess is what I'm getting at. <laughs> yeah, no, like culturally it's a lot different. It's an, I used to live in Berkeley, man. And like, right. I think I, I have, I, I come from families that are very like, I'm not to be political, very conservative in nature. And I love Berkeley like this, like, you know, if you wanted to go to a static dance or something, it was like six blocks down the road or all the weird stuff you ever wanted mm -hmm. to do is like literally right there. If I wanted to do that now, I'd have to drive like an hour, or, you know, it's, it's just, and not just that, but just like the, the, there's some interesting cultural things you learned a lot there. Um, you know, of course the weather's nice, but I, I will say being back in the Midwest is really cool. It's definitely a little bit more laid back. You don't have to like work as hard to make it in the sense and, and you don't mm -hmm. have to trade as much of your 
time um, for just to, you know, keep a roof over your head and all that stuff. And so it, it does, I, I'm grateful that that's a little bit easier here. And I'm trying to you know, use my time to just learn more and learn more about myself in the process of athletics. And, you know, it, it's May here now. So it's like, this is amazing. If it was like this all year, it'd be awesome. But I also really appreciate the seasons and I really appreciate, and that's something I'm thinking more and more about. And I, the more I get into like, you know, nature stuff, I went to Rafe Kelly's return to the source last year. I, you realize how disconnected we are from the flow of like the seasons of life. Like what does spring represent? What does summer fall? And like that late summer rest period in winter. And I just think that, yeah, for longevity's sake too, you know, as a, as an athlete who I'm still planning on doing like track meets this summer, you see how, like not getting the rhythms right leads to burning out earlier and just not doing things the way that they, I think ideally are. So I, that's being said, I appreciate the seasons here because you know, in California, you really didn't get that so much. Yeah, definitely. I know my buddy, I visit him um, pretty often. He's out in, he was in orange, orange County out there. And I always, I feel like I'm in the twilight zone when I'm there. Like I'll fly from, you know, dead of winter here out to LA and I'm like, the heck is going on here this, it just doesn't make sense it doesn't compute but i i'm actually curious to kind of dive into that and what you mean more about like the cyclical nature and burnout and what that sort of looks like are you speaking in sort of because i think that's something i think about a lot especially when i'm creating a, a program because i'm always thinking even if i'm only going to see someone for maybe a month and I'm just doing like a quick rehab thing. I'm also thinking, well, what is their training potentially going to look like in a year, two years, three years? What does that need to, what can we cycle through? When can we push strength? When do we need to push power and all of those different things? So I'd be curious to kind of just let you expand on that. Yeah, for sure. There's, there's kind of two ways I, I look at it. Like one is you can be the, the very hardcore, like literal sense. Like we do not follow the seasons as humans. Like we have the wrong sports at the wrong times. And we, we like, I mean, the way I see it, some things flow naturally, like track and fields an ancient sport and the main competitive season in, in actual like track, like pro track is the summer and summer is like the season of competition. Like that's like the fire element. So for example, so you could be a literalist and say, well, shoot, you only should really be competitive and, and really unleash all your explosiveness in the summer or something like that. I don't think that's the case, but I, I mean, it, not a hundred percent. Like I think some shades of that should be like, should be in the system in the sense of like the fall is like the late summer is the time to rest. Like it's, it is this downtime. And the thing is, is that seasons are all over the place. And I think that you can become like, especially once you get in like the holistic health, like journey, um, there is a lot of things that you can be such a purist about that, you know, the human body is super resilient, like it adapts, like even, um, I think a common thing in that industry might be, you know, electromagnetic pollution, like 5g towers or not, not, not like conspiracy theory, but just like, you know, all this, you know, we live in a different environment that we used to like, and you feel it if you go out in the woods, you know, away from Wi-Fi. like you, there's something about being out there that you do feel different. But like, I had this conversation with Mark Wetzel or Dr. Mark Wetzel on my show is like. It's like human beings are resilient. Like we adapt to stressors and stimuli. Yes, there's more electronic pollution, but to say that we can't deal with any of it is kind of silly. And like we can adapt to what's put our way. And so I think it's similar in a level with like the seasonality. I mean, we can, I mean, humans, I heard this on a podcast, like, yeah, like even if you're nutritionist, like humans can eat, like you could eat like garbage if you had to, you know, like right. your body can do it. So <clears throat> there's the ideal, like, oh yeah, we really should, but sadly, I mean, no, or not, I don't know. It's just not the way it is. But I do think like paying respect to 
at least seasons of accumulation, seasons of where you're like seasons of accumulating and seasons of reaping, I think for the sake of just long-term is helpful. And I think we just know it, like you can't play the same sport year round. Like you have to do, and not even, and even in the sense of like, like, like you could play that same sport. It's like, oh, well, we're going to just do, do the same sport, but less of it here or less intense. It's like, no, like, I think the way I just see it in a practical sense is I think you fundamentally have to just completely shift gears at some point in the year, like, like where competition is not on your brain, making progress is not on your brain. Um, like doing things just for the pure, like pure fun or pure relaxation sense is, is of the highest priority. So that's just the way that I've kind of put it into a practical is like, yes, you can get carried too far a little bit with sticking the seasons. Exactly. I do think it'd be cool to do that at some point, you know, Mm -hmm. but the world and the schedules we live in, I do think just treating that with a little bit more seasonality, just a little bit more like, look, this is your fire. This is the period of fire. This is the period of a little bit more accumulation. This is the period of rest. And looking at that with a nature perspective, I think is, can it be valuable? And if nothing else, help people to maybe intuitively understand what's going on a little bit more. Yeah, totally. I, I've definitely gone down that rabbit hole. It reminds me when I was living in Seattle, like, you know, I wouldn't eat a banana in the middle of winter because I thought it was, <laughs> it would kill me somehow. Or, you know, I, I definitely still practice a lot of like the grounding, some of the, um, yeah. Like morning sun, like before I got on this call, I was outside just throwing the frisbee with my dog, and you know, just being outside, it's all it's fantastic. But no, we could definitely get carried away. But I, I like the idea of us being resilient. You know, you think even though humans might have had potentially better, cleaner environments, you know, back in primal days, they still were probably like eating dirt and (laughs) just undercooked things all the time, or jaguars and like there's so many other different types of stresses then yeah so it's you know what which one are you going to pick i'm probably going to pick the emf pollution versus saber-toothed tigers and (laughs) or someone else trying to kill you you know yeah exactly tribal warfare yeah the average lifespan back then for all the you know the glory of a primitive ancestral lifestyle was not that long due to murders (laughs) murders you know uh infections that's a big one (laughs) so but getting a little dark there, but <laughs> right, yeah, sorry to start that off that way. No, nah, no worries. I, so kind of jumping back into the, the cyclical stuff, what do you think for, cause I'm assuming, you know, you, you train obviously like a younger population to some degree. Um, is that correct? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Who I work with in person is mostly high school. I would okay. say that's like the average, some, you know, 10, uh, early twenties is my gotcha. average. So would you say like, kind of, again, building off of what you were saying, you have this like fire sport, you know, track and field, something like that. What do you think about these kids that are coming through and they have, you know, they're playing four or five different sports in a year. You know, they have all this stuff going on nonstop and they're trying to be competitive. Do you ever give them, you know, recommendations of, you know, Hey, this is your main sport. This is your focus. We're going to really hone in on this, but, you know, maybe have swim on the side, which, you know, you don't really care about, but it's fun. It's conditioning. Like, what does that look like? Yeah. I mean, I think for the people I work with in person more, it, it kind of, it is what it is in the sense like they're, I don't think the parents are as interested in um, like saying, Hey, like how can we hack the travel ball system? And mm-hmm. it's too bad that more people aren't interested in that. You know, I, I don't think there's anything wrong with playing three sports and taking the summer off. I think that's, but I think the nature of it all has changed a little bit more where it's like, you know, it's not like you're just playing three sports for school. 
and then that's it and you get the summer to chill like it's like there's there's club like i think the club thing and i think that the pressure of college and, and that like let you get it gotta get a scholarship like that that carrot at the end of the stick i think really um has had a generally probably a much more negative impact than it has a positive in fact i feel like if you, if you go on a time machine and remove that like the, like going for a college scholarship i would love to see what sports look like now. I mean, it might be almost sad for all the, you know, sports performance trainers out there. Cause then that, mm -hmm. that, that, but I think that their job would be different. I just think the job would be different, you know, going through like Rafe Kelly's and return of the source and like the, looking into play and human movement and how we move as community and enjoy that. Um, and it was a little bit of a rabbit trail, but it's more like in the online space, actually, I have more parents interested in like, all right, this time of year, like, what should we be doing? You know, this time, I think just in the online, it's like, whoever's looking for you is going to find you, you know? So that's where I think I've been able to play more of a role there. Like, for example, working with like a, a soccer player who's in the European system where you basically don't have a choice. You're playing 11 months out of the year and I can't change that. And if you want to be good, if you want to be pro, you, you pretty much have to do that. I, I don't necessarily see an alternative but you know, like what i'll do there is like i'll be like look like at least once a week you know just play basketball and don't worry about outputs like literally just have as much fun as possible and that seems to have been really helpful it's kind of like you know it, it is what it is in some of these situations but for a lot of it or I'll, the same thing actually in person with like a group of runners that i trained that like literally all they do is running uh, i mean they don't play other sports and it's a thing where it's like it's it's the it's the private sector gym system where like you don't i mean it's as much as you'd love to do it like i mean and i i do i will like just cancel classes for two three weeks out of the year or whatever just because like i don't need to see you i shouldn't see you like i me making this money isn't worth the fact that you need to learn to rest and just not do anything for a few weeks you know like but it's like oh we got to make money we got to get you know we want to have them in like no and I've had this conversation even with um, like Paul Cater I was having it with him recently. who has been on my podcast and this idea that it's almost like we should do something else for our daily sustenance and shelter. Like, I don't know, work in the garden or something. And then all the sports stuff should be free. And in the sense that not, that it's not valued. Like I think that's a, a misnomer. Like what we do is valuable, but I don't know. It's, there's something to do with like, I mean, even if you just, if you have the experience of just volunteering in sport, you know, be it a high school, you know, youth sport, whatever, there's something that's so like rewarding about that that feels like this is kind of how it always should be on some level. But we've like kind of professionalized everything and atomized everything. And it's just, it's a diff, you know, it's, it's easy to say, oh, the system is so screwed. I just hope it all blows up and blah, blah, blah. Like, no, sport's good. But, anyways, I'll just say that with those people who do things year round, I just try to really make it a point to at some point in the year, or sorry, the week the week, like you have a day that's like, that's movement. It's like, it's like a pro athlete playing golf where it's like yeah. Michael Jordan just switched basketball off entirely and just played golf, you know, like where you can just turn that switch and you're just a human being having fun. And so for like the distance group, we always do something fun to start. Like it's, it can never be all about running. Like it can never be all about, we'll just come in and you know, your parents are paying so that you're a faster runner and, and all this stuff. And it's like, you know, because one day you're not going to be running competitively anymore, at least like on the high school or maybe college level if you're going there. And at some point you need to remember what it's like to be a kid and just to be fun, to have fun where like the scholarship and the time didn't matter. And so that's a big part of what I always try to have something at the beginning of a session that reminds people of that. Do you think there's benefit to, so I, I come from a background of track and field as well, uh, cross country, swim, all those different things, some wrestling in there. That was my, I was not good at wrestling, but, 
But that said, do you think there's benefit to, those are very, what's the, you're competing against yourself in a lot of ways versus, you know, obviously cross country, there's a scoring system, track and field, you can come in first, second, third, there is some competition, but it's different than some of these team-based sports in some ways. Do you ever tell people who maybe play these sports or you have like bouts or weeks of different types of activities that are more team-based for these individual base sports. Does that make sense? Um, oh, oh yeah, yeah. I, I know what you're saying. Basically giving individual athletes the team sport experience. Like Exactly. Do you yeah. think that there, there's benefits to that? Oh, massive. Like yeah. I was, I've talked about it. I mean, it's something I'm still trying to unpack the full ramifications of, but even let's just say, let's just say we only live in a world of outputs and again, I, I love outputs. Like that's been a big part of my life is still, I'm, I'm still trying to figure out how to run faster, even, you know, relative to my ability and my age right now. I mean, it's just, it's this puzzle that you'll never be able to fully solve. And I really appreciate it. But if we only speak on outputs, team sport is actually massive to individual sports. And I've seen that on so many levels. Like, um, yeah, I was just telling this story, like when I was, I mean, my 400 was slow. Uh, I mean, I, I ran the four by four. Uh, in high school, not, I didn't train for it. Like I just played basketball and mm-hmm. then I went and I did track and I did like trained high jump, you know, once, you know, once a week, trained hurdles once a week, maybe ran like some, I, I jogged to the a mile to the school where I did high jump. I think that was my aerobic conditioning. Like some years did more tempo than others. Like yeah. but my senior year did almost no tempo, did very little, like formal, like very little speed endurance work. And yeah, I ran a 54, like I let off in like 54 for the four by four. Like it's okay. It's not good, but like it has better than average, I guess. I don't know. Maybe not. But for me, like I, who've never felt like I was fast growing up. Um, like I felt like that was okay. And then I got to college and trained like formally, like hard, like, like typical tempo training, like 20 minute continuous hill runs, like tons of tempo and repeat four hundreds and all that. And I go in the first this, I mean, it's so bad. Like I'm, I'm indicting myself by being so slow, but I, again, I never, I don't, you know, I, I never want to blame things on genetics, but I, anyways, long story short, I ran a 57 split. That was horrible. That was the last time I ever ran the 400 in college and all that endurance, all that speed endurance and, and some speed too, you know, like my first 200 was okay with speed from a speed perspective, but it was, that was pretty bad. And, and despite all that, and it was just, it's, it's like, it's a combination of like the community and there's so many good things that happen in team sport from a perception of fatigue state. Like you could be playing basketball, I believe. And if you look at the GPS or you look at what, you know, the, the accumulation of fatigue, you could be five by far superseding something that's asked of you in an interval workout, but then the, you're perceiving it differently because it's in the context of a game. And if your mind isn't telling you this is hard and you have an external goal, you will push yourself harder. And then there's also a lot of nuance with the change of direction in team sport that, you know, if we're talking expansion and compression, it's really cool because you have in a change of direction, a cut, you have one side that's very expansion biased and one side that's more compression biased, even more so than running straight ahead or anything like that. And I just think that's like this, it's like this high velocity, all these things we try to do in the gym, which are awesome. It's almost this high velocity, like ringing of the body, if that makes sense. That's so athletic and there's just this thing that only high velocity can give you sometimes. And so there's, I think there's a lot of that. It just creates this really dynamic environment. And like I, I worked with, I had the opportunity to work with an elite 800 runner last year for indoor. Like, so I trained this, this small cohort of high school distance runners for their indoor season, then outdoor they went with their team. 
And this guy um, ended up running the number two time in the nation, 152.49 indoors. And I mean, it's funny because I actually haven't, I, I write like track sprint workouts a lot. You know, once I start getting up to 800 mile, I'm like, all right, I don't know as much here, but like, I feel like this is kind of something I could still do. And a big part of what we did though, was like for at least the lifting days is we'd want, we just come in and play games. And then sometimes or for the warm-up, and then sometimes we do sprints in between games. We play like pickup soccer or whatever in this turf area. And then I'd lay out the timing and we'd do a sprint. And like, it was unreal how much faster people run when they get to warm up with a game than just like a, some sort of linear type thing. There's so much power there. And so you're starting to see it come out now. More people are listing like, oh, I warmed up with a game and everyone's vertical was up like three inches more than it typically is. And we can harness that stuff. And it should tell us something too about, I'm going to talk about like atomizing things. Like, like you, you get like, all right, here's RFD and here's, you know, this fine-tuned expression and you know compression and expansion and and this and this and this and this and we're gonna make you program and that's good like I think that's I have tons of respect for people who know way more than I do in all these little areas but there's something about the sum of the parts that comes together in a game that is way more powerful than all the little things you put into it like I could do the all the change I could go do change of directions like a game I could go do a bunch of quick heel taps I could throw a ball you know around to myself I could you know, you know like but it wouldn't be the same it's this thing when you put it all together that's just amazing and so the more we can kind of leverage some of these principles that make that what it is that it, it's it's just so powerful and it's more fun like it's so much more rewarding in sense in a sense and I'll, I'll leave it with this one caveat as I do the individual sport, the discipline in an individual sport is I think important. And I, when you, there's a pendulum, you get too far in the game world. I think you can, like, I was just watching a documentary on race horses and I'm, I'm thinking about having like a, there's a horse trainer. I actually like to have a, as a guest on my podcast and like horses want from my understanding, at least I haven't done that watched out, but horses want to work. They like discipline. They like working hard. And so I think you can like really kind of get on one end of it and be like, oh, well, you shouldn't be a horse. Like, oh, you should just play games or, well, you need to, you know, or you need more discipline, you know, or you need discipline's the only thing. Culture and discipline's the only thing. And anyways, I think the more we can see these things and integrate them, the more I think of a real, I just think we can bring up every level in the course of training. Yeah. Well, and no, I like that. And also coming from a, so I grew up on a horse farm. And so oh, you nice. talking about horses, I'm like, okay, yeah, completely understand. Cause you know, my fiance and I will see the little horse and carriage it's walking around. She's like, that's so sad. That's so sad. And I'm like, that's not sad. Like that horse wants to do that. Yeah. Like growing up with horses, they want to run. They, again, they want the structure, they want the discipline. You know, my dad, we would take in actually retired thoroughbreds and just let them get fat and happy. But my dad, <laughs> you know, once a week, he'd jump on one. And he would, you know, light them up, like, let's run. And I mean, those horses, they loved it. I mean, they, I mean, afterwards, they're prancing around, they're playing, they're doing all these different things. So it truly, it gives them like a, I don't know if you can say a horse, a sense of purpose. I don't know if I could say that, but it, there's something there and they yeah. need that aspect to it. So uh, uh, that's just a, a little side tangent. Oh, that, I think that's awesome though. I mean, that could be a whole show in the sense of like, I just think it's easy to form these camps. Like it's like you have maybe like the Ido Portals, the monkeys, right? They like to mm -hmm. like move and do all these cool things. Like you have horses, like, and, and you hear people refer to athletes as all oh, that is a horse, you know, like mm -hmm. that's not by accident. There is like meaning. And I think of humans as like, we're to my understanding, I, I believe like we're the most complex organism on this planet. So 
we don't, you know, like there's animals that probably embody more simple, like this is this type of embodiment of movement. This is this. I think you get humans with different flavors like that, that you can relate to via an animal. And it helps us to understand each other more. At least that's my, sorry. I'm like rabbit trailing, but it's something I've been thinking about. A no, lot. you're fine. I mean, well, you know, supple leopard, workhorse, strong like an ox. Like there's so many different little things you can kind of throw around there. And, you know, it makes for some good marketing too here and there. But, <laughs> yeah, but I do think that having those different traits, personalities within a workout does and, you know, they heighten at different phases, different months and blocks. Like that's, that's the way to go. That's the way I've been training a lot of people as well. It's like, go play, go do whatever you want to do at first. You know, there, here's some structured warmups if you really want to do that. But if you go play some spike ball, like, hell yeah, go for it. I think that'd be just as, you know, just as well. But then here's also the discipline aspect. Like, yeah, you know, here's the split squat variation that I know you hate, <laughs> but you, you do it and this is going to have some benefit. In, in the long run so having those yeah you know, i think you get the buy-in to some degree and you get people doing some of the things they don't maybe like as much when you do have that play aspect to it and then also just getting the carryover of and this actually segues really well whereas when to talk to um, you about all this stuff but getting that conscious to unconscious sort of carryover into sport so you have like a, a training quality that you've they need a little more of X, Y, or Z. It's like, well, here's what it looks like in an isometric, in a strength movement, whatever. But how do you get that to show itself on the field? And so I'm curious, you know, your process and kind of how that looks. I mean, is play like kind of the, the go-to thing that you're utilizing right now to get that unconscious carryover or? Yeah, so I think that, you know, when we look at like, you know, you have Fergus commonly. Fergus Collins game changer. And you have like the four elements of like what leads to transfer to sport. And we have the, the two that are more like the like sport itself is technical, um, technical <laughs> and tactical. And I think that games can influence the technical more like skills, like games and skills that you express, but the tactical, like that's the sport. Like that's like, if we look at areas of interlap and um, like, you know, here's the, I guess, strength coach. And, and again, that's where I think we can atomize things too much. And that's like when I knew fair where I keep saying it all the time, but I just like, I like it I'm thinking about it a lot, like all these compartments, it's like, Oh, well we have strength and conditioning. We have sport coaching. And I do think, I think in the perfect world, there's more interlap. And it, at the very least there's better communication to see this more as like one whole thing, one whole process. It's not like, all right, well, you're going to go in the weight room and, you know, get strong. And that's like, I, because it's just like it, there is a critique of being overly specific too. I mean, I, there's without question that, but it is interesting. Cause like you, you think of like, you know, the workhorse or like I'm reading a book. Um, it's called like the spiritual journey of Joseph Greenstein. It's about the mighty Adam, like this five, four strong man who was like 80 and still bending metal. And like, there's some, I don't, and I don't know, like that guy, it's probably not gonna be very good at like basketball or even maybe wrestling, but you know, like it's not, the, 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 the qualities that, that can allow you to bend metal, which would be like this, the pure archetype of strength are not the same as someone who loves to play. Like how many of the athletes that you have in the gym who are really good at their sport would be like, Oh yeah, I really want to like bend these nails and really get into that focus strength. Yes. Like no, they want to play. Like, it's just, it's, I don't know. I, I, so Anyway, so I'm, I'm kind of, my mind's like in this kind of like, a, what do you call it? Like kind of everywhere place this morning. I do apologize for that. But in terms of what transfers like out of games, I think that we just have to keep in mind where we are, what we're doing, what's what. 
And we have to realize that games are awesome, but they only will cover the, the hopefully the skill overlap at best. I mean, there is that you could say the tactical, like there is space, like you could get into uh, manipulating the space. So James uh, Smith that you have uh, strength does that, I think really well from what I've seen in his work. It's like, all right, here's let's manipulate or Michael Zwiefel, I'm sure like those guys, like you maybe can get in the tactical a little bit by allowing people different spaces to operate with. But uh, you know, I, I don't know. It's interesting to think how far that really goes for people. Like should a strength coach operating be expected to be really good at strength. And then, Oh, I got all these games for you to improve skills and skill interlap and, and various movements. And then hopefully I can also manipulate the space for you. You know, it's uh, yeah. it, it, a, some, I've almost gotten this sense of like, sometimes if you really get to really far in the world of strength and conditioning, it's almost like the save the world. I need to save the world mentality. Cause I know all these things, all these levels of sport, but at the end of the day, like it can't, it just can't be that compartmentalized. So I think you do what you do through, can do through games and different iterations of skill and, like you could say, uh, you know, different swing iterations, different throw iterations, different types of jumps, different types of sprints. Um, but at the end of the day, it's still, that's still general, you know, and, and that, that tactical is it, to be, it makes the highest level. You have to be good at that at some point. So I don't know. It's kind of a, where you are, what do you want to do? What, what experience do you want athletes to have? Um, yeah. Just asking yourself those questions. So from that, I'm getting that you're, you're more saying that playing the sport will probably get you better at some of these, these skills that you might be looking for. Like you just have to play the game. Is that kind of what you're getting at? Yeah. I mean, for the, um, like, like in terms of skills, like let's just say baseball swinging a bat or something, right? Like there's a lot of things that could actually feed into, to swinging something, you know, I could be doing heck, even like bailing hay on the farm that has a rotational element to it. Like just different, um, like different iterations, of, I guess, swinging clubs around or whatnot, like mm -hmm. you know, those, those could all lend to that skill uh, or even like Mickey Mantle, historically um, the baseball player with the farthest home run ever on record. Um, he was grew up in a mining town in Oklahoma. And like, I think he spent a lot of time in the mine just with a job is basically here's your sledgehammer, your pick or whatever. And you smack the rocks until you're tired, hand it off to the next guy. You rest, they go like what an amazing, and this is a guy who hit a baseball 700 feet before weights, you know, was even like a thing, right? Like what an amazing donor, activity and so i think that a lot of these skills just by general human conditioning and competency and you could call it phys ed like we can help athletes to generally be better at those things just and without even coaching them either just by kind of and, and it also depends on how young you start at working with the athletes you can work with them younger they can be better at these skills just by nature but once you get to the higher levels of sport like you can't especially the skill sports like baseball or basketball like tennis like football's a little different because you can be just athletic and be better at, at least initially um like at some point you have to be so good at the actual tactical elements of that sport to succeed and that's something that really falls outside of what anyone like, who is just like a general physical coach could probably give so that's yeah. more like like so it's like if you look at areas of interlap you it's like well how much can i interlap based off what i'm in with a situation how much can i interlap if i'm in a university it might be different um, you know, and just kind of go from there. So the tat that the tactical is that part that I don't think you can have as much unless you actually play the sport and are, and have that component of what you offer to the athletes. Yeah. I gotcha. That that's an interesting, the, the pickaxe or, you know, mining town and then makes them into a better baseball player. Like that's, it, it's funny that you mentioned that because I had had a conversation with the, the guy, Ben, Ben Yang's, 
um, last week and we were talking about power lifters versus, you know, you have these like wide infrastructural angles. It's like maybe the only reason these power lifters, like obviously their structure is set up to be stronger per se, and they can lift these heavier weights, but they also probably discovered that pretty young. So yeah. then they just had more time to get even stronger than say some of these narrows who have to work maybe a little bit extra hard to get better at that sport. And, you know, they, if the narrows can get through the, the suffering and the failure of <laughs> that, they, they can be pretty good, but you have these wide infrastructural angles that are probably just, they have a leg up on them. They have experience as well as a structure that is setting them up for success. So I, I'm curious if you've, ever had some experience with that. I think, you know, it goes the other way too for wides versus narrows in terms of bounciness, you know, kangaroos versus gorillas, if you yeah. want to call it that. Like you probably don't have too many wides who feel very athletic at initially until they really have to practice it. They have to practice their jumps, all these different things. Whereas a narrow might just be a little more naturally gifted in that. But yeah. I'm, I'm curious if you've seen that experience or experienced that and just kind of watching people move. Yeah, I would agree. I, I think that, yeah, your structure definitely sets you up for what you're good at. So, mm. you know, it's also, <clears throat> excuse me, I think, you know, outside of the, well, I would say the world of like strength and weightlifting is probably, or like a football lineman or someone or shot putter, someone who has to just produce, you know, just be generally sturdy and have a lot of force. It, I mean, it's just another way of just describing, you know, you doing what you're good at, but in, in some ways too, it's, I think it is helpful. It is interesting where we live in a culture where, where I don't think powerlifting used to be a, you know, obviously powerlifting didn't used to be a sport. It used to be like strongman, right. Or whatever, yeah. which wasn't, I'm curious. I mean, I'm sure being a wide ISA probably was helpful to being a strongman in general, but there was a lot of things you could do as a strongman. Like, even if you're a narrow, you could like do tons of like, you could still like bend iron or whatever. Like, your expression of strength as a strong man, it's pretty much whatever I'm good at, you know, and then I'm just going to work really hard on that. Maybe it's not, maybe it's not like a big, um, you know, squat or deadlift or linear lift. Well, it's, it's funny, like Logan, um, Christopher has been on my show a few times as, um, you know, amateur strong man amongst other things. And I think he's like 180, 190 pounds, six, two, I'm almost positive. He's a narrow, his deadlift is like, 550 but his squat i think his squats only like as much as he does with all and then this guy can bend nails rip phone books in half like all this crazy stuff but i don't think i don't i couldn't tell you for sure but if you watch his videos i don't think his squat is really much over 300 and okay. yet he does all these other incredible things like i was at his house back like three four years ago um before it burned down in the hills of um santa cruz and he's like just he's like teaching me to like rip cards and like he's got like a whole deck of just like you know and i got like eight cards and i'm like eh, eh, you know just trying yeah. and i'm like i mean then there was serious strength to that but i think that back in the day if you wanted to be a strength athlete you know you could just do what your structure uh, is is good at you know and so now it's like people who maybe are more predisposed to strength have more of an outlet earlier than perhaps what you did and and all that this is very like theoretical, but I almost feel like sometimes if you don't tell, so like, I don't know, like if you just had a bunch of kids who are all sorts of different shapes and structures and they're all kind of playing the same games, you do have to kind of adapt for a while and you just get over it and you just deal with it. Mm -hmm. It's almost like we have more outlets for those expressions now. Um, it's just, just my two cents, but it does make sense that, yeah, like as a, I, as a neuro myself, like I was, man, like I got caught in the trap big time of thinking, oh, well, good track athletes are strong. And 
well, I need to be at this level of strength if I'm going to jump this high or run this fast. And that was one of the worst things that I ever, <laughs> that was one of the worst things that ever happened to me as an athlete in, in many senses of the word. I mean, you know, it's, it was, yeah. So trying to sort that out was helpful, but I just, I, it's an interesting, it's, um, it's an interesting equation. Yeah. I was the same way. I remember just, so I tried to walk on at UK for track and field for 110 hurdles and I, I didn't last very long. I was like, I'm not doing this. I'm not getting any money. So I went and joined a fraternity and drank beer instead, but <laughs> I ended up, you know, still missing that like competitive aspect. Still want to push myself. So I got into, you know, weightlifting and I worked really hard for like two years, got my squat, my deadlift up. I got my squat up to like 325. You know, my deadlift was in the four hundreds and I was like, I should be really fast now. And I, went, <laughs> and I went and I sprinted and I remember we were playing like intramural soccer and I was like, what the heck is wrong with me? <laughs> like, I'm so slow. I'm so heavy. What happened to me? And I spent two years. I didn't do anything athletic, no jumping, nothing. Yeah. And it just, I don't, I mean, it took, it took away my balance the way I looked at it, but I'm, I'm curious if you, I mean, obviously you've had that experience. Do you think that you can take a narrow and turn them into a wide like that? And just that, like, that's what's happening and why someone will lose their bounce, or is it more just they're heavier, their tendons aren't adapted to that, you know, bounce anymore. What do you think is really happening at that point? Obviously it's probably some combination, but yeah, no, this is, this is it, man. This is stuff that's fun to talk about. And it's, it's funny. Cause it's kind of a thing where if you train athletes, like they're not, they're always doing athletic things, right? Like, mm-hmm. and so I think it's very easy in a gym setting in a typical strength and conditioning setting to be hammering all the athletes, whether they're wide or near, which barely anyone makes that distinction anyways, for the most yeah. part, you know, like they all get the same program and the only thing that gets tested and measured is pretty much standing vertical jump. And that's usually going to go up. Although I, I'll tell you my standing vertical got wrecked doing, um, I did the cube method and, and for about probably three, four months and my powerless, my deadlifts were like all time high, but my, I, my standing vert went down like four inches. It was terrible. And my running vert was even worse. Man. I, I, but for the most part, as long as you're doing, I wasn't doing like sports really. I was playing like kind of pick up basketball every now and then though. And it still got really bad. And, but you have athletes who are at least being athletic on a daily basis and they're lifting and you, what you usually will see is you'll see standing verts go up often, but you'll see reactivity is like, meh, you know, like that's probably not going to get better. And it's, I think that for, if I had to say, why does it happen? You know, I've thought about this. I think it's like four things, um, that I can think off the top of my head. One is weight gain. So in, and even if it's muscle, doesn't matter. It's still like, this is still forces that the body needs to deal with in like a 10th of a second, two tenths of a second. So it compounds itself really fast. So weight gain would be one if you are gaining weight. Uh, the next one is I think we become more compression biased. So internal rotation biased. Um, and it's funny because like, you know, my pendulum has swung a lot of times over the last several years. Like when I first, um, you know, I, I used to back like 10 years ago and this was in the oh, what's his name timothy something like the acl guy and the the like cleveland clinic and all that like you know mm-hmm. plyometrics where don't let your knees come in when you jump right like you, your knees can't come in all plyo should be knees straight and i'm like and obviously like once you start to realize that good athletes their knees come in you're like oh, that's stupid but then you kind of get in this thing and i would watch myself doing hurdle hops back in the day and my knees are like almost hitting each other like and i and now i learned that's like a, i was into several layers of compensation as a narrow and that's where a lot of that was coming from i mean knees should go in but there's only they should only go in you know there's a there's a limit like i i mean and kind of a 
and, and when you see what's happening. And so uh, I think it's, it's, so it's weight. It's you're driving actually too much internal rotation to try to, because everything bilateral is going to be IR driven. Like it's just, and even some unilateral, I think it's just compression based. Like it's like, oh, we're being so much better because we're going single leg, but there's still a heavy weight that's being lifted. There's still a lot of internal rotation you need to generate. So it's like, you know, thinking about, well, the, the force needed to, uh, in the vertical vector to reverse a weight is, is IR. And, but the thing is, is most reactive athletic movements are actually more external rotation biased or dominant. Like there is an IR component, but like in a sprint stride, for example, that IR component is very small and it's mostly on the level of the foot and ankle, to be honest, actually, it's like this quick hit in the foot and ankle. And there's mostly like knee and hip. You're seeing a lot of ER throughout the sprint stride. And so I, I, that really hit home for me that one of the four really hit home for me when I started doing like a lot of loney running, um, which I, 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 Darian Barr was the first person that turned me onto that. I actually had seen it in Franz Bosch's books and it never mm-hmm. was really described very much. It was like loney running, huh? Like, why would you run loneys? Everyone says run high knees, you know? And like, and, and I don't know if Franz, but, and Franz Bosch's like running system is very conventional. You know, it's very what much, what most people would consider good running technique as opposed to, you know, what Aaron, Darian Barr is like totally the opposite. But I found loney running the, the one thing with that, like I, if I would do like run a loney, like 200, I would like, and I, on the walk back, I'd see like a tree branch. I'd go and jump and touch it or like a pipe in the gym. If I was every run, my jump and reactivity was better and better and better and better. And tempo by nature is expansive. Like if we think of um, like squatting is compressive and IR driven tempo running is more ER that like expands you that re-expands you. And I, I, that's actually something that I took me a while to figure out. I always knew like long sprints were helpful for me as a narrow and like high jumping. And I never exactly knew why I just chalked it up to, oh, I just think my feet are better or something. You know, it's foot strength generalized it. It's which it is, but it's also you're, you're re-expanding. You're, you're, you're giving yourself more of that ER um, kind of reset. And so low knee running is, is this form of running that the only way to be fast is to absolutely maximize that initial collision, um, that your foot hits. And so your body is going to set up for this really fine tuned external rotation. So anyway, sorry, long story short, heavy lifting stuff will hurt a narrow. I mean, even a wide two in that respect, I think, um, from weight gain, you're more of an ER bias. Um, and then another one would be, you're deepening your compensation wells. So whatever way you were compensating to make that lift, when you lift, you're especially too, like, I mean, if you if you usually you're not happy with just lifting the same weight every week, like who is, unless you're an Anatoly Bondarchuk system and every developmental cycle, it's the same weight, the whole cycle. And if you improve, it's because the bar got faster, which honestly, I look at that more. And I'm like, you know what? That was a pretty good idea. Mm-hmm. Athletes would hate it because I'm like, oh, I want to put more weight on the bar. But it's like, you know, at least it's going to keep you from going down that trail of like deepening these, like if I'm really like hinging on my throat, you know, my TL junction or something like that. And I have like all these curves in my back where I'm really compressing at these specific places. What's going to happen when that weight gets heavy, you're going to compress harder at those specific places on your spine. So you're also compressing there. And I think that too, I guess you could just say, well, weightlifting is just slower. I mean, that's like the, <laughs> maybe that's the fourth, maybe I lost the fourth in my head somewhere. So I would say it's, it's weight gain that doesn't manifest itself well in reactivity it's more of an being more IR biased when you need to be more expansive biased to be quick off the ground. Um, gosh, I'm like, it's, it's uh it's a slower, which again, that's, that's not necessarily, I mean, as long as the intentions, you know, you could take mm-hmm. down a lot of different ways. I mean, um, and then there's you deepening compensation wells. So those would be my four. What do you think for the 
So getting to, you know, some of these more, like, obviously that made sense to me for like a wide and they're already compressed deep in their, you know, compensation wells, something like that. They probably would benefit from more athletic development games, something like that. That makes sense. Expansive things. But say you have a narrow that's uncoordinated as all get out and they're lanky, like, do you still think that there is a quality to us, you know, putting them through just a basic, you know, hypertrophy or just strength training program? You know, what, what does that look like? Does, does that make sense? Uh-huh. Will that help them? Yeah, it will. Uh, so this is, again, this is where it's easy to be. I find it easily to like ride these pendulums, like where it's like, oh mm-hmm. yeah, and he's in for the win. That's awesome. And it's like, oh wait, not too much. Cause then you lose your, right, right? like, <laughs> again, squatting is a different ball game. Like a lip catching a deep Olympic clean or snatch is a different ball game than, um, like a jump or something. And it's funny. I was actually thinking about this as I, this is a rabbit trail, but I, th- I feel like a full, like a full from the ground, clean, uh, squat, clean and jerk is actually more expansive than a lot of people's hand clean. Cause it's like the hit is so quick. It's not like this drawn out pull. It's a quick hit where your knees don't have an opportunity to really come in much. Then you hit that full deep catch, which is expansive. Then you hit that quick compressive zone where the knees come in and then you're out of it. Anyways, sorry, a little bit of rabbit trail. Um, for a narrows, and so this is the thing is athletes need to play to their strengths. Is you know, it's it's I think it's admirable to say, well, look, I'm like you're a narrow, uh, you just need strength. Like that's your weakness. We have to bring that up. And it it will be true, but you only need to bring it up so much is the thing. It only needs to come up really to a certain level. And I think it needs to only come to a certain level where the muscles can um the the muscle size will elicit the adequate compression where like the muscle, the compression of the muscles is a helical thing. It's not just like muscle strength. There's this helical compression that is a result of some cross-sectional area. And Randy Huntington talked about this last time he was on the podcast is he's like, yeah, I had a really skinny guy and the guy just needed meat on his bones. So we didn't go all out, you know, about bodybuilding, but we traded one typical, I don't know, maybe sets of three sets of five, whatever, like type day for a set of 10 type day or set of 12 where there's like, we're, we're trying to gain hypertrophy. And he said that worked really well for him. And so I think though, honestly, I feel like we should view it as that for that population, not your lifts are bad. And you're like, I don't care what's on the bar. And you know, if you're getting more powerful and your muscles are getting bigger and we're driving some size, like, yeah, you're going to get stronger. And, but ultimately I think for any athlete in a narrow, especially their explosiveness on the track in their sport, jumping, dunking, cutting that will drive the neurological power to make a lift better. Like, you know, you're, and that has to be that way. If I try to use lifts to increase the output, I'm just going to, you know, fall into one of those four, I guess, you know, categories I kind of threw out there (laughs) on some way, shape or form. And you may get some good gains early, which does often happen, but the longer you keep on that train and think, Oh, a little bit is good. Well, more is better. You might be becoming more powerful, but you're also those four wells are going to be dragging you down in some like these four hooks and they're thrown into you. And it's like, I'm fighting because I'm becoming more powerful, but I have this compensation hook that's like pulling me down or this IR hook that's, you know, causing me to be too compressed in my movements, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. Well, it, it's easy to get caught up to thinking, you know, linear, linear periodization, like, oh, let's just keep tracking up with this and everything should continue to get better all the time. Like, let me add a little bit more muscle mass. Let me keep doing my sprints and try to do everything at once. And it's, again, it gets back to that cyclical, you know, uh, thing that we were talking about earlier. I think that's, you can still go through these bouts potentially maybe in the long term 
for an athlete, but I don't think it needs to be for like these narrow athletes specifically. I don't think it needs to be as scientific. I don't know. Maybe that's the wrong word, but it just doesn't need to be what we as strength and condition atomized, yes. you know, I'll, I'll use your word right there. You know, I, there's a guy, I cannot think of his name uh, to save me right now, but it, you know, listening to like some uh, Dr. Mike Isratel podcast, things like that. And he was talking about, you know, you can get hypertrophy gains pretty easily and you don't have to go in the gym six times a week to do that. No. So I think of these narrows, it's like, what if you do them two, three times a week, they do a little machine circuit and they just go two to three rounds, absolute failure. And you just have them do that for, you know, a month to three months. Like that's probably all they need for an athlete that is very specific to, or, you know, they, they want to do their sport, not be a bodybuilder. Yeah. I, I, I would say so. Yeah. I mean, I would say even like one by like, I think that's why one by 20 is so popular to be honest, yeah. just because it's, it's more expansive, like anything that's more blood flow and a little more endurance is more expansive by nature. Mm -hmm. And it's an expansive in that. And even like the squats are half squats. So you're not getting into like compression or compensation land. You know, I think mm -hmm. I thought early that one by 20, half deep squats was not a good idea for a lot of athletes because <laughs> then i found oh it's only half squats well that makes sense like yeah well a set of 20 deep squats is like a set of 40 of like bench press almost you know it's it's pretty gnarly compared in the range of motion um but yeah that i think that's why that's so effective because like it's putting a little bit of meat on their bones it's giving them opportunity to have more muscle to create that compression but at the same time it's more expansive than doing a five, three, one. And it's allowing an athlete's explosiveness in their sport to create the neurological adaptations of like the, the power, that real like twitch and that power. And yeah. Some athletes might want a little bit more than that or need more than that at some point, mm -hmm. especially wides. Um, I think that for a lot of wides, they might want or need more than a one by 20, but, and, and a lot of people who do one by 20, like Ryan Bracius, I think he does like, you know, like, three sets of three and then finishes with one by 20 or something like that. You know, like there's a lot yeah. of ways you can do that. And, but I, yeah, I think that just basic, like that basic stuff. And then, you know, if you know about the biomechanics and then like, like even just something as simple as squatting on a slant board, well, now you just made your squat even less compressive. Um, or you could do like a, like a WEC method, WEC 45 deadlift, where you're on like the outside of your feet and your knees are out and you're uh, a little bit more supinated in your hands. So now it's less compressive, so you can mm -hmm. also take lifts that are by nature less compressive and throw that one by 20 or whatever on top of it. And I think that can help those narrows as well. Like I appreciate a lot of that stuff. Some of those nuances a little bit more, the older I get too. And like the more I understand where my compensation patterns are. Yeah. Well, I, I find myself. So what I do is I do a lot of, I should have said this to begin with when we were in the, the pre podcast talk, but I, I do a lot of rehab and then get people back to lifting in the gym, whatever it is that they want to do. But the first thing I do is I get them doing, you know, sets of 15 set to 20 because I'm just trying to expand as much as I possibly yeah. can. Cause those tissues, a lot of times, you know, we know that pain occurs when a tissue is ischemic, right? There's a lot of tension compression through that area. So let's just, it's like, Hey, let's put you on, you know, whatever, an assault bike and get expansive. Like here's 10 minutes there. Here's some, you know, sets of 15 sets of 20. Here's all the blood flow you could ever want some different movement patterns. And, you know, someone just doing that for two weeks has significant reduction in pain yeah. and whatever they're having, not to mention, they're just, you know, they're, it, it instills confidence. They get a pump. People love a pump, right? Like it, it goes oh, a yeah. long way. So it, 
it's just funny, like the, the connections I'm sort of making in this conversation and what you're, what you're utilizing as well from this expansive compressive model. Yeah. The life, the life is in the blood. And yeah. I think that we, it is, it is funny because we can get so far, even like sprint training, Oh, only do like short sprints and only do long rests and only, and yeah, that is going to help the neurological component. But what about the recovery element? What about re-expanding? What about, um, you know, so there we kind of can might throw out like a healthy dose of tempo, not an obscene and stupid dose of tempo, but you can even make any, I think about this too, is like any workout can become more compressive or expansive based off of uh, rest intervals too. Like if I'm running, I was just thinking about this the other day, it looked like boost exonators, home base workouts, which is like eight by 20 meters sprints, but 90 seconds recovery. So he'll say like mild light, light dose of lactate. But the way I see it, or, or like four sets of five cleans with not like long rest necessarily, like maybe light dose of lactate. And I think you probably want to do a clean from the floor for that. Like hang cleans just, I, don't, I view a hang clean as just compensation central, especially mm-hmm. with the low back and stuff like that. I think you can get really maladapted ver- versions of that. But um, it's almost like the less rest you have, I mean, you can be stupid with it at some point, but it's like, you, it's like you're turning up or down that blood flow dial, you know? And it's like, if I want to build, and I do find like if you if you go compressive too long, where it's only max sprint, only like max rest, only max sprint, max rest, like that's a max compression dial. I mean, again, that sprint actually itself is not necessarily compressive; it's more supination bias. But just like by getting more blood into involved, you turn up the dial, shorten the rest a little bit. It's more blood flow. Your times won't be as fast. But now you have actually infused recovery into it. If that makes sense, you've. Uh, and it's almost like periodization is just that in some senses. It's like, what's that dial? Is it expansive or it is compressive? Is there more blood? Is there less blood? And I think that's a cool way. I'm always trying to think of ways to simplify this, this stuff. Cause I think we get insane with periodization too. And, um, but that's, I, I love that. Um, the example with just the salt bike, the blood flow, you know, is stuff that gets ischemic and compressive and the simpler solutions we find that are less like, you know, like, you know, just minute, the better, like global stuff where, Maybe I didn't even have to explain to the person why this is working, you know, right? this is just human things are human beings are meant to do. Definitely. Well, and you know, you think too about as we age, what do we do? We dry up, we turn into raisins. Yeah. Right? yeah. We, we lose our, you know, how much blood volume, you know, bone density, muscle mass, all those things decrease over time. And so with that, it's like, no wonder you see these people hunched over, compressed, they got a walker, all these things. It almost makes you wonder, it's like, what if we just start dosing people and just like, let's just pump them full of blood. Like, let's just, just give them more fluids. Yeah. Or just yeah, like, every, you know, a few times a week and just, just, I don't know, just doing out the lift, just, you know, pump your, pump your arms and stuff. There you go. I, you know, it's, it's, I, this is probably a, a dumb archaic thought, but it, it is it's like, what if you just pumped some of these older folks with like, they just were on like a, a weekly IV. And you just, like, you just gave them more fluid. I mean, working in a nursing home and hospital setting, you know, um, going through physical therapy stuff. I mean, it's pulling teeth trying to get these older folks to, to just drink water. Really? Yeah. And it's like, man, what, why do these people not want to drink water? And then, you know, we just talk about what I just brought up. Like they, they don't have, they're just dried up raisins in a way. And, you know, I don't say that that sounds really bad. I know yeah. we're all heading that way when I say it that way. Um, yeah, I, yeah, I'll be, I'll be there. I'll be there at some point. Yeah. Right. Exactly. But it's, it's like, what if we just introduce more 
volume to the system, what would that do? What would the effects be? I don't know. Maybe someone, I'm going to Google that and see if there's any research on just <laughs> putting more blood and or water in old people and see what that does. <laughs> well, it, would be, it, it is interesting. I mean, it also brings up like the idea of, you know, at some point, like, you know, big Tommy John, Tommy John is, it's some, you have to own it at some point. Like you can't, like it all stems from the central battery of, of desire. And I'm sure there is elderly people who do, who are like on it, you know, like mm-hmm. my grandfather on my mom's side, like he was, he had all these interesting exercises he came up with, with these like 10, 20 pound dumbbells into his eighties. He was doing them like these rolls on the floor. And I wish I knew more about, you know, I wish I was inquiring more back in the day. I wish I would have written down his routine. Like mm-hmm. it's almost like if the will is there, like it, it, I, it always it makes you just think about like, I mean, yeah, like a supplement, like just giving someone a supplement or like a medical based intervention, like blood like that. But also, you know, there's probably yeah two sides of that coin, but I hope to, yeah, I hope to, to be on that um, exercise train as long as I possibly can. I want to be running the hundred when I'm a hundred years old. <laughs> we'll definitely. Like yeah, definitely. I, what was the, I think the guy, he set the world record and he ran like a, I forgot what it was. I think it was like a 10, it was still like 10 seconds and he was like 70 plus and it for, so it was a world record for a, um, an elderly man, 100 meter dash. And I was like, wow, that he's moving <laughs> and watching him like the video of it compared to the, some of these other guys. It's like, I can't believe this guy's 70 years old. He's running like, you know, a 20 year old out there. It was, it was super impressive. That's I think about that a lot now with well yeah there was a guy I posted it was a he was seventy and he ran a thirteen four in the hundred and that's what like, I saw okay. someone said the world record was like twelve five I want to see that race that blows my mind like that is so fast like can you imagine a seven year old like that guy could show up at the JV high school track meet and beat most of the people in that you know like yeah that's awesome and a big thing that I've been thinking about. It's just, I mean, it's probably not related to what we're talking about. It's like, what are all those things that allow for that? And like Sam Weiss has talked about on my show, like a lot of times people who did track when they were younger actually aren't very good later. And we go back to the seasons thing. Like that guy who ran that 13 four didn't start track until he was 59. And a lot of those masters track athletes are like that. I think it is because the way we live is imbalanced. Like I think you could do track your whole life and run that fast later. And that's like the path I'm on is like, how do I, like for me personally, like I high jump seven feet in college. It's pretty decent. But like if I went out to the track now and 38, it's like I shouldn't have dropped off more than like eight inches, really. Like eight to 10 inches is a, probably a fair drop off. And I'm well worse than that right now, I would say. And like trying to figure out why. And it's not, I mean, I do the same training, if not an upgraded version of training than what I used to do. These are all like systemic and energy related things. You know, it's like, yeah, I have kids and I have, you know, a business to run and, you know, all the stresses of life and I lifted too much, you know, and like, like all my lifts basically like went down like 30 pounds when I was 30, turned 35, like just some sort of neurological like decrease. And I've been training my butt off since I'm 11 too. So I'm like, all right, well, <laughs> I guess if I would have started later, maybe, I don't know. I'm, that's a, that's a huge interest yeah. in mine, trying to figure out how Is to- there a tactical component, as you were saying, like, do you attempt to high jump pretty frequently? I can't, I, now I don't have the opportunity to, when I was at Cal, I could, cause I could just walk right out there and high jump. Gotcha. Now I can't, now it's more like actually this summer, I I'll be in some track meets this summer. And then I'm, you know, my, um, I want to get to a basketball hoop, at least do some dunks and stuff like that. You know, that's yeah. like my, um, and, and, and re-expansion is a big part of that too. Like that is, that is at least, it doesn't fit like the neurological decrement that I think comes from energy mismanagement, just mm-hmm. from like going through life and having kids and, and, and all that stuff. Um, but 
re-expansion has been a massive element. Like the more tempo I run, the more extreme isos I do. Doing extreme isos right before a workout, that's a hugely expansive stimulus right before the compressive bit. And then re-expanding after has been really massive. Um, stuff that you didn't need to do when you were 20, but now I'm like 38. And like, that's where I get some of the best results these days from doing that kind of thing. Uh, so I know we're getting close on time here. I do have one more question for you and sort of an idea that I've had. And it relates back to, you were talking about the gentleman who, you know, he deadlift really well, um, but his, his squat, it's just like, yeah, it's, you wouldn't, you would expect those numbers to be higher. So we have these ISA measurements, which, you know, that kind of gives us an idea of the archetype that what the person's shape is, but would you ever take into consideration, like actually taking like, or do you think there's a ratio or something where we could look at someone's tibia, their femur length, as well as like maybe in relation to their torso and say, Hey, like, is this person potentially going to be better at X, Y, and Z sports or lifting activities? Is that something that you would ever consider doing? Yeah, I know Randy Huntington did a little bit of that with track. Like apparently if you have longer tibias relative to femur, that means you're like a better, like long sprinter, which is funny. Cause that's me, but I'm like, no, my 400 kind of sucks. I, although I will say like, I, I mean, it's honestly better than my, um, my, my short sprinting always bewildered me. Even when I jumped seven feet at a middle distance runner beat me in the 30 meter dash that year. And mm -hmm. like at our testing and I was so mad, like I was so mad. <laughs> I always felt better once I kind of got up and going and had a little bit. Um, so yeah, I think there's something there for track. I think for team sport, I don't know. I mean, it's it's something that I would only really be able to tell you for track, I think, for the most part. And I wouldn't I wouldn't want to steer anyone away from any event because their body, you know, I, I think like having kids myself, you give kids the opportunity and I think they're going to kind of gravitate towards the thing that they're pretty good at eventually. You know, I think it kind of happens on its own. I mean, you know, if we were in the old Soviet you know, system where you, you really had these like talent farms or you went around and saw who's good at what, I think it could be beneficial, you know, if you're, if that's what you're trying to do, but I, you know, now I just think, you know, for the most part, let kids play and do what they like and see what they like. And then eventually they'll probably pick the thing that fits with their body is, you know, is pretty good. Mm -hmm. at. Yeah. I think of it almost as like panning for gold in a way, like it, it'll kind of sort it. So it'll, it'll find its way there. If it's in the pan, it's in the pan. And you know, you think too, I think if we were probably going about it, that that's a very atomized approach. I would say like, Hey, I'm going to measure your tibia to see if you're going to be good for X, Y, and Z event. But then you are really limiting these, you know, black swan events. If you would want to call them that, like, you know, you look at Usain Bolt when he first came around, it's like, man, this guy's way taller than a lot of these shorter, you know, hundred meter dash sprinters. So it's like, you know, you wouldn't have scenarios like that popping up to some degree. Yeah. That guy would have ran the 400 and 800 in some sort of other system, to be honest. Like, exactly. He runs more, a little bit more like a middle distance or like a 400 run on some level. Like it's, it's um, yeah, I totally agree with you on that. Yeah. So, well, Joel, I think we'll, we'll call it there. I really appreciate you uh, coming on the show, man. Um, and giving us your time. So if you want to hit us with where we can find you, all that good stuff, plug your products, everything. <laughs> Yeah, I just, uh, I mean, you could find my link tree on Instagram, just slice sports, lots of interesting things there. So I don't, yeah, to Instagram, just slice sports and Twitter, just slice sports, um, just fly performance podcast, probably the best areas. Uh, we do have a website, just fly sports.com. So yeah, check us out there and see what you like. Perfect. Thank you again, Joel. And we will see you all in the next one. This episode is brought to you by the Broken to Beast Protocol. This is a program that is meant for you. It's to help you gain muscle, get jacked, 
but without putting all of the excess stress on your joints. We've got video tutorials for every single exercise. We have a self-assessment to make sure that you're doing the right warm-ups and exercises for your body. We really try to take the exercise and build it out so that way it is set for your body type versus trying to make your body fit to the exercise. So again, you wanna check this out over on Instagram. It is at broken2beast, that is broken, the number two beast. Check it out on Instagram, join the newsletter for it. It will be out this month in May. Don't miss out on it. We'll have an early bird special for all those folks that have been waiting.